0: John wanted his people to experience life, and as we approach chapter 5 with this little letter that we've been studying this this past year, this past fall, we get to chapter 5 and I believe he's really challenging us to embrace life. And the reality is life sometimes looks different. And because of perspective, John's looking from a retrospective. John's looking back over his life, and he's encouraging this young church to look forward to their life and and to live an unwavering life, fully and completely embracing that life and living it to its fullest God-given potential and intent. John has experienced it. He's he's looking back, and, and his perception has changed from what it was when young. I, I look at my own life and I think back of all the different phases. I, I was a part in um, one of my churches, I was a part of the founding leadership of a network of innovative pastors. And quite honestly, we were young, we were obnoxious, but ironically, we were just as dogmatic as those who were saying, you can't do this. And so a lot of times our gatherings would be of, of these sort of gripe sessions about, well, if they would just let us do this, or they just let us do this, and, and don't they understand we want to reach a new generation? And they're, they're, like, they're like looking at us. I understand now. They're like looking at us and saying, well, gosh, you know, but yeah, but this works, and, and this, is, this is foundational, and, and they're wanting us to be somewhat anchored. But I remember sitting in one of those meetings and, and talking to, looking to the other pastors and saying, look guys, we can be as innovative as we want to be, but we cannot be so dogmatic about our innovations that our innovations become somebody else's shackled traditions. And in every moment in life, we, we live in that moment and that moment becomes for us so critical That if we're not careful, we entrench it in some form or another, and in the process we lose the very life nature of what was originally happening in that moment. John had experienced amazing things. John was there the day Jesus was baptized. John saw—and we'll look at this passage next week—John saw the Holy Spirit of God visibly, physically in the shape of a dove come down and rest on Jesus at his baptism, John had seen and heard twice John heard God speak audibly. At Jesus' baptism, he heard God speak and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Just a year, two years later, John's on the side of a mountain with Jesus and, and a couple of other really close disciples. Peter and James are there. And suddenly, uh, unbelievably supernaturally, Elijah and Moses are there. This is one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture. You realize Peter, James, and John recognize Elijah and Moses immediately in that moment. They had never seen and Mo- Elijah and Moses, they had never seen a picture. But yet they immediately recognized. You know how cool it's going to be in heaven to walk up to somebody you've never met and know their name? Or if you're on the older side of this whole life story that we're talking about today, you walk up to that person, you know their name, but you've forgotten it. And in heaven, you don't forget it. You know know what it's like? You're going to go to church in heaven, and you're going to walk up to somebody, and you're going to be sitting there thinking, are they a member? Are they a guest? I think I know their name, but you won't have to. Peter, James, and John immediately knew they were worshiping with Elijah and Moses, and you got to love Peter. Peter, Peter's that spectrum of of innovation, tradition, um, you know, think new, entrenched. Jesus, this is so good. Let's put up tents. Let's stay here. Forget about everybody else down in the foothills. This is a good place. Hang out here. That wasn't Jesus' intent. Jesus' intent was always to sin, but I love that. I'm, I'm going to know people in heaven, and I'm looking forward to that. That doesn't have anything to do with the message. That's totally free. That's a, <laughs> not even, attend have been But, uh, I, you know, that whole concept of living our life and assuming that the life I'm living right now is the best life for everybody. In other words, my innovations need to be everybody else's traditions. But realizing as John addresses the issue of life, it's not about what I do. It's not about... It's not about where or when I live. It's not about what culture around me is saying. It's about who I know, and it's about who I am on the inside. And so John, John's very first point I've, I've named as having an unwavering life and having a life that is meaningful. Let's look at First John, chapter 5, verse 1. I mean, this is it's a great passage of Scripture. And, and it's so clear and it's so simple so that if, if you're thinking about spirituality and as you're inquiring and, and investigating spiritual issues, you've come to Christianity, you've, you've come to get information on the Bible, John does a great job of just distilling down to the basic essentials of what Christianity is. And when he talks about a meaningful life and living meaningfully, he describes it perfect. He says in verse 1, 1 John, chapter 5, verse 1, if you are one of those inquirers, um, the Bible's divided up into chapters. If somebody's not with you at this moment that can help you find that, um, you just go to the, towards the end of the Bible, and you'll find 1 John listed as a book, and it's divided into chapters. That's divided. Sentences are divided into, into verses. This is what John said in his letter. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That is Christianity in a nutshell. If you believe that Jesus is God, and Christ is a title for Messiah, the Anointed One, which means He's the one God sent to make forgiveness possible. As God's Son, He sent Him to make forgiveness our pathway so that we can have righteousness, we can have holiness, we can have life that is meaningful and unwavering. If you believe that, then you start a whole new life, a whole born-again process, a whole new creation moment where what happens from this point forward Is now guided and led by the fact that you're in relationship with God. However you start that is up to you. That's a simple prayer acknowledging sin, a simple prayer asking Jesus to be a part of your life is all it takes. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. He says again, very similar, everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him, which would be a reference to both Jesus as the Son of God, the only begotten, the only Son of God, who came to earth in order to provide this pathway of forgiveness, and it would also include all of us. Because each one of us who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God as well. We've moved from being God's creation to God's children and God's family, and a meaningful life puts you in relationship with God through Jesus, and it puts you in relationship with one another. In other words, Christianity gives you purpose. It redefines our life in a positive forward momentum, and it makes our life meaningful. Everything else. When we talk about embracing life, we we talk about things that are always elusive. Maybe we think in terms of defying death, doing things that are, are risky. I, you know, I've been watching some videos lately and, and been kind of intrigued by the whole urban adventure movement. These are guys who can't get out of the major cities to climb mountains like I did when I was a kid, so they find structures in major urban environments to, to climb, and, um, and I did some of that when I was young, but in case your kids are listening, we didn't send them all out of here. We're not going to talk about that kind of stuff, but I'm, I'm intrigued, but what part of what intrigues me is. There is, particularly when you're young, a tendency to want to define life by defying death. So I do risky things, and I, I do dangerous things, and, I, and it's all about new quests and, and new adventures. The huge change in my life came when I met Jesus and realized once I knew Jesus, I didn't need any other adventure. There, there, wasn't, there wasn't any adrenaline rush, there wasn't any thrill that was ever going to el- you know, just eclipse or go beyond what it meant to know God personally. It's a meaningful life. It's a purposeful life. It's a life with vision. It's a life with drive. Because now His heartbeat becomes my heartbeat. And I live for Him and with Him. And everything becomes an exciting and a momentum um, that uh, drives me and moves me in life. In fact, John addresses that in verse 2, because he talks about living faithful. This is how we know that we love God's children. So we've just created this new relationship. I know God. I believe in Jesus, so I'm in relationship with Him. I've been born of Him. That relationship brings me in relationship with other people that have made the same decision. And now John says, look, but if you're curious about how you know, how you see this play out, again, he's real simple at this point. This is how we know that we're God's children. One, we love God. Two, we obey his commands. And Jesus clarified for us okay, you got all the over 600 rules in the Old Testament law. You got all the thousands of rules that men add onto that. You got all the additional thousands of rules our current culture adds onto that. But in the bottom line, Jesus says two things make a difference love God and, and love the people in your life. Give Him your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and give your life to the people around you. And and John's now saying that that simple faithfulness, loving one another, and that's characterized, or that is obvious when we love Him, and our love for Him allows us to be obedient. It's just living faithful. It's taking the meaningful part of our life and giving it substance. It's not just about following rules. You know, it, it counters because if, if, you're, if you're in that thrill-seeking moment, then living a life of rules or regulations will seem very stifling, and, and, and that's the perception a lot of people have about Christianity. They don't, they don't understand and they don't see the dynamic of a life-changing God who is by nature outside of the parameters of life and death. I mean, God doesn't have to defy death. Because it's not even a part of his character. He doesn't even know it or understand it. Death is a result of sin. God has never sinned. So as a result, there's no harm. God doesn't worry about getting sick. God doesn't worry about being ill. God doesn't worry about being impoverished. God doesn't worry about having nothing to do. I mean, God doesn't worry about having too much to do. These things are just below him. And now he's invited us into that meaningful life. And he said, look, I just want you to live it appropriate to the change. That, that's all. And so, don't make it a complicated thing about the depth and difficulties of, of all the laws that quite honestly have been created mostly by mankind, who was faulty to begin with, but look to the, look to the core of it. Love God with all our heart. Let Him guide every decision, every movement, every action this week. Love the people around, because that's what God wants to do. The greatest way to to demonstrate that we are this new child in Christ, we're part of this new family, is to love one another. Live meaningful, have purpose, but live faithful. Live in congruence with the character of the one who changed our lives. You may have heard, if you've been in church, you've probably heard, I want to look more like Jesus. And 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 I do. But that, that doesn't mean I'm growing my hair out. doesn't mean I'm growing a beard. If I did that, I would want to look more like Chuck Norris. And, uh, and it's too gray these days to look like Chuck Norris. And so that's not going to work. You know, I'm not going to start wearing a robe. Um, no offense, some of you love sandals. I'm not a sandal guy. I am a boot guy. I don't even own a pair of tennis shoes, and I'm proud of it. So, Josh, wherever you are, don't buy me a pair of tennis shoes for next year's birthday. I like my I like my boots, and I and I want to wear boots, and I and I, you know, no looking like Jesus. I just I just want to act like him. I want to think like him. I want I want to talk like him. Granted, with a slightly Texas accent, but. I, just I, just I want people, like I did, I want people to be able to see that there's a difference. And the difference isn't James. It isn't because James got his act together. The difference is Jesus, because Jesus changes us. I want to live faithful. Does that mean I'm keeping a record of every single ordinance in Scripture and in church history? Quite honestly, no. But it does mean, basic bottom line, What I do tomorrow at work, what you do tomorrow at school, what happens in our lives, how I treat my wife, how I interact with my kids, needs to be basically the character of God, which is accessible not because I've become good enough, not because I've followed enough rules, but it's accessible because the gift of God's transforming work puts Jesus in me. I love the way Paul describes it. I'll never forget reading through my Bible those first few years and coming across this verse in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We can, we'll put it in the chat. Somebody will write it into the chat for you. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Write it down in your notes. It, it sounds strange if you're not familiar with Scripture. But Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, that, that, that may sound odd if you've not heard it before, but this is what it means, basic, to living a faithful life. It means when I asked Jesus to be a part of my life, when that relationship was established, literally I allowed God to execute my old life the same way Jesus was executed on a cross so that I might live a new life. But that new life is now found in Jesus living in me. Paul wrote it again to the church of Colossians. I said, it is, the hope of glory is Christ in me. Do I do that all the time? Does it happen? No. You can turn to just about anybody in this worship center. You can call any one of your friends who knows me for any length of time and say, oh, no, he's absolutely, he, he makes mistakes all the time. So he, can, he can, any number of things. I just not even go into that list. But at the end of the day, I want to make sure Jesus clearly was living in me. Because He's not going to leave me. He's not going to abandon me. So if sometimes my words or my actions make it a little unclear that Jesus is there, it's because I've clouded the picture. It's because I've smudged the lens or the window. I just want to wipe that window off so that when you see me, you see Jesus. That's what living faithful is all about. That's what being an obedient follower of Christ is all about, living like Jesus and letting people see Jesus, which allows us to live life in a joyful way. Look at verses 3. The first part of verse 4, for this is what love for God is, We're still on the same kind of theme. Here's, here's simple examples, here's simple comments about how we understand loving God. Keep His commands, we just talked about that in faithfulness, but here's a reminder from John to this young congregation, and His commands are not a burden, because most of us think commands are a burden, and John said, but His commands aren't a burden. Because everyone, in the first part of verse 4, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. It's not the burden like we experience in life and in the world because God is above that. He is superior to it. He is premier to it. God is capable of more than this world can offer or be. And the burdens He gives us are not heavy. They're not burdens that is meant to wear us down or, or to, to, to play us out and exhaust our lives. They're burdens designed to help us and secure us. Jesus in one of the most intimate moments looks to the people He's with on an afternoon and He says, look, following me, following me, and you're tired and you're exhausted, then, then come to me. because." My burden is light. My yoke is able to be carried. He told that crowd of people who were trying to figure him out, understand him. He told them, said, you come to me and I can make life easier. That doesn't mean you don't work. It doesn't mean you don't get tired. It doesn't mean you don't get worn out. It doesn't mean you don't get sore. It doesn't mean that you don't have troubles or difficulties. What it means is a yoke, Jesus understood that. His crowd understood it in their agrarian society. A yoke was carried by two. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to come. I'm going to pick up my part of it. And the reality that I've experienced over the years is that Jesus picks up all of it. He gives me the impression that I'm still carrying some of it because He loves me and wants me to participate, but the truth is, my burdens Jesus carries. That's why Scripture tells us to cast those burdens on Him. Let Him carry the load. We were in White Sands, New Mexico. It's the southern, southern part of New Mexico, if you've ever been there, outside of Alamogordo. It's where the test sites are and everything for the missiles. We are backpacking one of my favorite moments, um, not be, you know, because like a little boy always is with a little sister, she got on my nerves a lot, and, but um, we're, we're backpacking into white sands. It's just pure Egyptian sand, so it's brilliant white. It's desert. Nothing lives out there except a few white lizards and white rattlesnakes. And we're going to the wilderness side, and my sister's walking along, and, and at some point in the hike, she just has had enough and she just drops her backpack. Now the thing about it, she's pretty little at this point. She's probably only six, seven years old. She dropped her backpack. The backpack probably didn't weigh anything to start with, but it was, she had had enough. She, she never broke stride. I mean, literally, she's just gone. My dad walked over and he picked up the backpack and started to carry it. Then he walked over to me, is that here? Carry your sister's backpack. <laughs> I learned a really valuable lesson that I wouldn't understand until I was a young man and became a follower of Christ. However heavy our burden is, when we drop it, God can pick it up. And if you're not completely sure how the Heavenly Father picks it up because you can't see Him, one of the ways He picks it up is by putting us Together. I'm here to help carry your burden. You're here to help carry my burden, and if I'm at that point and I drop it, the Father's going to pick it up. Don't be surprised if He hands it to one of us who maybe are a little stronger, a little older, maybe a little more capable in that moment, but it's okay, because our moment's going to come just as well. We are living together, and it's a joyful life, because we're in it with God. We're in it with one another. And then the very last thing John says is that it's a hopeful life. He ends, he ends that section in the first part of verse 4, we call verse 4, by acknowledging that everything that, that God has conquered the world and we're a part of that conquering. Then he restates it in verse 4 again. This is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith. Just to make sure we understand it, kind of a third time, he says, who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I, the reason I call that hopeful, if you've been to church any t- period of time, you probably words like victorious come to mind because we talk about living in victory. What I love about being hopeful in God's strength and God's ability to conquer the world, and in this passage of Scripture where John is saying again, he already said it earlier in chapter 4, he said, greater is the one that is in us than the one that is in the world. He's already told us this. He's already made this point to us. What I like about this is hopeful is it's not about me winning. It's about me having hope even in the midst of the difficulty. It, it's about me having the ability to overcome those things that haunt me like sin, disease, broken relationships, financial questions it's It's about having a strength to overcome those, but in the end it's always about hope. i I am and, and shared with you I'm pretty competitive. Our family got together this past week and spend a night just playing some games together. We didn't have enough time for a movie. And the truth is we were just relishing being together. I mean, it's been a hard year. Um, my daughter is a school teacher and so she's got tons of issues related to COVID. She's working harder than she's ever worked in her life. She's exhausted all the time. That's a prayer request. My son's an engineer. hasn't even been in his office in over a year. Um, normally travels, normally out of the country six to seven months a year, and uh, he hasn't been out of the country once. And has a, a lot of dynamics and stuff. Um, we're all being careful. I lead a church. I'm in a very public place, and we've been very careful. We've wanted to navigate this pandemic with hope, and we wanted to navigate it with safety, so that all of our congregation would come through this better. And that's been our desire. And so simple things like getting together for a movie, simple things like getting together for a game have been tough, but we finally got to do it this past weekend. We're all together, and we, you know, we enjoy being together. We're playing a game, and everybody in my family is competitive. I'm not the only one. Um, they're all competitive, extremely competitive. We divided up boys versus girls, um, which wasn't fair because the guys were at a disadvantage, um, but we had fun. It came down to several times, and we kept — it was kind of, kind, of like, kind of like the Astros, you, you know, they can't do anything until the last inning. Um, you know, get, it would be tied, and somebody said, well, let's do another round, and it'd be tied again. We'd do another round. It'd be one person ahead, and somebody go, okay, they're one point ahead, let's do it another time. Um, I realized going home we, — we lost, by the way. Just, I know some of you are competitive, you're going, did you win, did you win, did you win? Um, the guys lost, I think, by one point, maybe two points, um, we, we lost. But I realized driving home that night how happy I was. Not because I won, or lost, obviously, but because I was with people I love. I'm just going to be honest, guys, particularly guys, but guys, gender neuter, girls included, most of the time we're way too concerned about who wins instead of just being happy together. Live hopeful. Jesus wins this battle, and he wins this war, and heaven is waiting for us, and it is absolutely perfect, well beyond just the fact that you don't have to remember everybody's name because you're going to recognize them. Live hopeful. Who is it? Who is the one who has conquered the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God.